The Start On Demand. On demand. The road connecting Waverly to Brady has been named Ethan Boyer Way in honor of a 19-year-old who was killed in a crash on the south perimeter last October. We spoke to his parents, who hope drivers will finally start slowing down. We've been talking this week a lot about sleep and the lack thereof. So today we'll speak to U of M sleep expert Diana McMillan on how you can get a better sleep. And speaking of sleep, what are the worst sleeping conditions you've ever had to endure? One of our listeners described his conditions as like sleeping in a coffin. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling, who's back from vacation next week, and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, August 6th podcast for The Start. sort of approach uh, vacation time and start to feel anxiety when you start to think about all the things that you've been putting off mm-hmm. in preparation for that? Because that's, yes. that's what I've been feeling for the last, say, 12 hours. Like in terms of just, you know, packing or just the plans you need to make or the connections you want to make with friends or reservations or what? It's a, well, packing for one, but it's, it's mostly the stuff that I need to pick up. Like I've realized I've put off... Mm-hmm. The stuff that I, like, I need to buy, I, I forgot I need to buy a tube because we, we, we go out to Oak Lake or to the beach there. We're going out to Oak Island near Verdon, uh, the annual Laker Classic Boys Golf Tourney, and we, we send out uh, this flotilla. We go out in this, this flotilla, as we call it. So we, we all get a tube and we just go hang out. I forgot that I left my tube last year at the cabin, so I have no idea what what became of that so i need to get a tube i need to get a lawn chair because i don't have a lawn chair anymore i need to buy my alcohol i need to buy mix i got to debate whether or not i want to bring potato chips for snacks or just stick to uh to healthier salad. stuff salad come on man I, no one does vacation you don't do vacation with salad uh, they do not have only a burger do you not stand. make friends with salad you don't do vacation <laughs> with salad they do have a burger stand uh there and some of the boys are actually bringing like potato salad and stuff but I got to clean my golf clubs. I got to do laundry. I got to pack. I got to get some cash. It's just all this stuff just kind of, and I'm, I, I, I don't know when I'm going to have time to do this because I yeah, want to go golfing tomorrow to warm oh, up. Well, there it is. <laughs> okay. Well, I think I can, I think I can fix this for you. If you want to just maybe delay the golf for a day, you could probably get a few <laughs> things done. Yeah. There's pre-vacation anxiety. And then currently I'm experiencing after two weeks vacation, post-vacation anxiety, Maybe anxiety is not the right word, but a little stress because you also, before vacation, I think, put off things that you need to get done because you're just so excited to have the time off. Yeah. And then I was in the backyard weeding and going through the grass and just doing cleaning the garage and doing all these things yesterday. And I said to my husband, how did it get like this? What's going on? Like, why does this yard look so brutal? He's like, we went away for two weeks. We <laughs> pretended it wasn't here. We ignored it. Uh, what more do you want to, you know? And so you do that too, right? You either put off your stuff to prepare for your vacation or you use it as an excuse to be like, ah, I'll deal with that when I get back. And then you get back and you're like, whoa, got a lot of, got a lot of stuff to do around here. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I, sometimes a vacation it can be, well, it, once you get to it, it's worth it. But sometimes the, the build up to it, especially depending on what you have to do at work. Like when I was Charles Adler's technical producer, if I took a week off, I had to do all kinds of 
prep work because we had to harvest his segments for Best of Adler stuff. Uh, and when he took a week off in particular and no one was filling in for him, that was actually kind of a nightmare for me because it would lead to hours and hours of overtime and, and sort of build up. And I would just think, God, this would be so much easier if we just were not going on vacation. So uh, maybe if you have a similar story, let us know. 204-780-6868. You either need an assistant or, as we were discussing earlier, earlier an associate. An associate, yes, Associate McNabb. That's right. <laughs> After I met someone on the street yesterday <laughs> who described himself as an associate of the one, the only former CJOB traffic guru, Brian Barkley. Right. So maybe you just need an associate. That would get you through it. But either way, you know what? What's going to happen is it doesn't matter. You'll forget a few things. You'll be able to pick some things up. Someone will have an extra for you. I, I suggest you suggest the flow skip the floaty and just force an awkward share oh that would be fun what you, what it will probably end up happening is i'll skip it and just take a nap because i'm always the first guy to bed at this thing now that i'm used to waking up so early like even on the weekend i'll, I'll wake up thinking oh i bet you it's 10 11 o'clock 12 o'clock i look at my clock at 6 30 like man i can't do sleep-ins anymore this is not sleeping in well, on the subject of sleep, we're continuing that conversation today because, of course, we have that fantastic giveaway, Brett. And uh, we're trying to figure out, you know, we've been talking about alarm clock blunders and sleep blunders. And now today, what about bad sleeping conditions? Oh, bad sleeping conditions can be the worst, whether it's an old crappy mattress. Like I remember when I was a kid, uh, when I first got this. No, I had, I don't remember how long I had this mattress for, but I think it was finally like 11 when I got a new one and that, that mattress had like, it was caving in on itself. Like you could actually see in the sheet, like you could put push down in the sheet and there was, it was like a crater had hit the mattress. And I remember when I got a new mattress, it was great. So whether it's crappy old mattresses or maybe a stayed in a garbage hotel, I mean, you've stayed all over the world, Loren, you must've seen some rather unique sleeping conditions. Yeah. I'm, I remember this one place in Thailand and not only did I wake up the next day with what I'm pretty sure were bed bug bites, but mm. at one point, my sister and I, this was a vacation, not work, I rolled over and looked at the wall and I was like, what is that? And the longer we looked at it, the more we were quite certain it was feces smeared on the wall. Oh, and good. good. Yes. So, you know, and then you can't sleep after that. You're like, oh, it's looking at me. I can smell it. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it, and it could have just been dirt, quite frankly. I mean, it wasn't the, you know, things you're trying to travel on the cheap and you're not paying top dollars for certain places. You'll land in certain conditions. But yes, on the work front too, there have been experiences where you know, it's wartime conditions or um, in Gaza, I remember staying in a hotel that had some of its windows blown out from some bombing and you could still hear the the warships in the distance. And yeah, it makes for a disconcerting sleep. But at the end of the day, either way, no matter where you are in the world, you still wake up the same, which is very grumpy. Yeah, I remember going to Red Lake Falls and my buddy who was not used to camping, we were all up and he was struggling to wake up. And then when he did finally wake up, we could hear him screaming, why are there ants crawling all over me? So <laughs> uh, that, was, I believe, was his last tenting experience. <laughs> Worst sleeping conditions you've experienced. So let's go around the horn here. We've got Skylar Peters, Jeff Forte, and Kelly Moore. And Kelly, if Jeff Braun were here, I think he would uh, make some kind of a joke about uh, what was it like sleeping in the cave? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I, I could probably compare that to the beds that they have in Mexico uh, because uh, – 
comfortable mattresses are not something that seems to be part of the equation there. Uh, I think sleep country could make a killing down in in Mexico. Uh, it's it's like you're sleeping on a cement slab. Really? It Even is... in the, re- the resorts you stay at? Well, we don't stay in the real fancy resorts, but we have in the past, and it hasn't really made a difference. Uh, the odd time you will get a bed that has a decent mattress, but for the most part, yeah, they're not uh, they're not comfortable at all. Like it takes a lot of getting used to. Uh, uh, you, your body has to get acclimated to a cement slab before, and it's usually <laughs> if you're there for two weeks, by about night thirteen, you finally made the transition. Oh wow, that's interesting. Okay, that uh, that's too bad too, especially when you're paying that money, you go on vacation, and then the the, the sleep conditions are not ideal. Skyler, what about you? Worst uh, sleep experience I ever had was I think two summers ago. Now we. Uh, Made a trip out to Banff um, on the way to a wedding in Kelowna, my girlfriend and I. And night one, our air mattress popped. And <laughs> we were, uh, well, we're both in school and we were both broke, so we weren't going to go buy a new one. Uh, so we tried to, you know, patch it up. And I think night two, we started the night with the full air mattress. And then by, you know, the morning, you wake up on the ground, basically. <laughs> so it got to the point where by the time we got to Kelowna, we were going to keep camping um and just hang out with all of the wedding crew um during the day but we actually uh jumped in a hotel they were all full in the city for some reason so we jumped in the room with the bride and groom um which was pretty nice of them to do and i ended up sleeping in the bathtub one night (laughs) (laughs) but but it actually wasn't that bad i i uh got an extra set of um blankets and pillows and i kind of you know uh fashioned it around the bathtub and i'm too tall for it so I just kind of put my feet up, and it was quite comfy, but when I woke up, my feet were basically dead, and I had to, like, lean on the counter and try and, like, swing my feet around to try and get some feeling back because they were quite a bit above my, my head and my heart, I guess. So. Yeah, you got to be careful when the feet fall asleep because one of our coworkers, he, his foot fell asleep, he got up off the couch, and he tripped and broke his leg because he had, he had no feeling in his foot. So watch out for that. A couple things on that. Uh, you mentioned air mattress. I once tried to uh, blow up an air mattress with my just with my mouth. Oh, worst oh, idea passed ever! Passed out. I almost passed out, uh, and, I, and I only filled it up about halfway. And indeed, I was on the ground by morning. And second, Kelly, this text for you from uh, from Don, who says Kelly originally had a feather mattress. Pterodactyl feathers, but still. <laughs> hey, too brute. I thought I was free this week with Braun on holiday. <laughs> Jeff uh, Forte. Yeah, so uh, me and my friends were camping, and of course I was sharing a tent with my buddy, who brought his tent but forgot the fly, and it rained a bit, so I decided to go sleep in my car. Mm. A little two-door cobalt. I slept in the back seat, so that's cramped enough. But, of course, you know, I'm sleeping, and I slept in a little too late with the windows up in summer. Oh, yeah. And you got heat stroke right after that. It was. It, Did you was, really? Oh, yeah. I was down and out for a good, like, two days. I remember I came to work, like, two days later, and one of our former colleagues looked at me. And he's like, oh, did you party this week? And I was like, dude, I've been in bed for past two days oh man it was terrible that is i've had to sleep in a car once and i I know that feeling but i even find that intense like you go to bed and it's you go to sleep and it's cold and then as soon as the sun hits rains down on the tent you you wake up and it's like well i can't stand it in here uh loren you've already shared some of your uh the the interesting sleeping experiences you got any others 
Yeah, and you know, it's funny because I mentioned uh, Thailand and the bed bugs and, you know, Afghanistan and the cots. And I have a story out of Haiti where I remember sleeping on like a cement floor as we were trying to get from one point to another. But I have to honestly say it's all relative. And right now, the bed I'm sleeping on is the worst I've maybe ever slept on. And I don't I need to fix it. It's now so old that it has those. Has this ever happened to you where it like gets the divots in it? Oh, yeah. From your yeah. weight and your body weight. And, and then we've moved it. And the hus- my husband's side, you know, he's, he's heavier. So than me so now if you end up in the one kind of crater that's been created <laughs> i can't i honestly will have to roll myself out of it like just <laughs> heave yourself up like come on you gotta get up over this hump like so now it just like bad sleeping conditions are basically you forget that it's all replaced by the most recent one so i had a terrible sleep last night i maybe got four hours in i'm exhausted and forget what country you're in right now in my uh, province manitoba terrible sleep eve says brett Brett can get you a good deal at sleep country oh that's right and maybe you can maybe you can win yourself this set so keep texting us 204-780-6868 like eve who says truck box aren't that bad it's when you have a cattle hauler pull up beside you at 3 a.m and the cows are a little angry you can imagine the noise and the smell yes i had a terrible sleep when i was younger because during cow mating season or whatever you want to call that they are noisy (laughs) Construction is underway on a new pavement surface road that will replace a dirt road into Winnipeg's landfill. So it's going to link Waverly Street to Brady Road. And of course, the goal is to make that intersection safer. We know over the last 10 years, there have been 85 crashes at the south perimeter near Brady Road, including the one that took the life of Ethan Boyer. His tragic death led to a petition calls for something to be done and now we know change is coming to that area including a change that will rename that road Ethan Boyer Way. We want to thank both his parents for taking the time out of their morning to speak with us. We're joined now by Ethan's dad Dana Boyer. Good morning Dana. Morning. And of course Ethan's mom Sue Zook Boyer. Good morning Sue. Good morning. Sue I want to thank you so much because you know we've shared many texts over the past uh 10 months or so, particularly one that you sent to CJOB on the day after the crash, the day after you lost your son, where you wrote and pleaded with us that you did not want him to become another statistic, that you wanted his name to be known because this crash could have been prevented. So I'm wondering what you're feeling today, an emotional day yesterday, I'm sure, but do you have hope that this will lead to change or is there some lingering anger? Well, I think there's always going to be lingering. I have, I don't have as much anger as say my husband and my, my son do. Um, I'm hoping there'll be change changes um in my lifetime there probably won't be any overpasses there for sure the adding of the service road and and getting that done is a plus and they're going to stop all the traffic going across the perimeter which is a huge problem and that was what caused Ethan's accident was somebody going across the highway at an uncontrolled intersection so um and my anger not sort of but um but not really I just, want to, I just want to see changes so that nobody else has to go through what our family has gone through and are still going through every day. Dana, you've texted us as well, uh, and we appreciate uh, your feedback on this. Uh, so many times we pass crosses on the highway, spots marking where lives have been lost. Now people will pass and see your son's name. Do you think that will make a difference? You know, Greg, you, you would hope so. Um, but even yesterday when we were on our way to the media event, I was slowing down in the 80 zone, and uh, there was a 53-foot uh, semi-trailer um, 
he he smoked past me, uh, probably doing between, well, my guess is between 90 and 100, just before the lights uh, that turn off to LaSalle. So, you know, the hope is always there, but even if it slows down one or two trucks, that's that's all that that could be the difference, right? I mean, that's all it would have had to take for the driver that uh, rear-ended Ethan more attention uh, to what's going on in their surroundings and maybe a little bit more respect on the highways. Well, I hope with this conversation that people are listening because I, I sincerely mean it when I say since I've been in touch with you two and learning more about Ethan, I, I can't take drive that highway now without thinking of him. And so hopefully there will be people that think about a 19-year-old who lost his life there because that's something no family wants to go to. And, and Sue, uh, this is potentially a hard is a hard question to ask but perhaps you could tell us a bit about what it's like the last 10 months have been to be without your son because i think too often when crashes like this happen we hear about them and then we move on but for the family and for for yourselves there might not be moving on in the same sort of way well i there isn't moving on right i mean we just to give you a little bit of background of myself I, w- I was a police officer for 25 years with the service for 29 uh, i've been to many many car accidents in my lifetime um i've given many notifications to, for death for for um, a variety of ages never in my wildest although i worried about it with my children and i always told them about you know watch out for the traffic or watch for other drivers you know it was always my oldest son who was the risk taker ethan was not a risk taker he was super careful i was never worried about ethan but your question was about, you know, how do how, how's the last 10 months been? Well, every day is a, a challenge, right? Every day has different issues or um, different things going on, or every second, like, you'll be okay, and all of a sudden you'll go, oh, yeah, Ethan's not here, or, or something will happen, or, or it just life has is, is changed. And I, I try to say that we're not the only ones in the world that suffer this way. And so I try and take solace in knowing that there's other people out there that are, that are feeling our pain and, and know what we're going through. And until you lose a child, you, you don't, you don't get it, right? You just don't. And, um, and, and friends and family have been great. We've had lots of support, from lots of people, which is awesome. Um, but, um, and, and time won't heal it. It'll just, it'll just make, um, life just a little bit better as, as it goes on. Um, yeah, I, I just, every day, every day is different, right? So we, we move on and we talk about Ethan all the time or we try to, and, um, yeah. A lot of work still needs to be done, Dana, to make the South perimeter safer. Uh, but at the end of the day, the intersection will now be forever linked to Ethan. So what would you like drivers to consider as they head out on their commute this morning, a commute that may take them through or past Ethan Boyerway? Slow down. Just slow down. I mean, really, the, as Minister Schuler said yesterday, some of the uncontrolled intersections they want to close might cost somebody two or three minutes. And I live in the country. Driving all the way to the city, if you want to call it that, is sometimes an event of 20 minutes. Sometimes it's 35. But it's just, it's just time. Leave yourself time. Leave yourself space. And, and if, if, like I said, and we keep saying, if if they see the name and go, hey, you know what, that kid died. Yeah, maybe I don't need to be there in uh, in uh, 17 minutes and 30 seconds. Maybe I can be there in 18 minutes and 35 seconds. I mean, that's all you're saving. We all end up at the same light. <laughs> How many times has somebody passed you and then you end up driving right beside them? I mean, it's just, yeah, I just slow down. That's all I would wish. You make a great point, Dana. There's not just the safety message there, though. Before we let you go, Susan, 
uh, I would just like to ask if, if we see that name, what would you like us to also remember about your son? If there's if something about him that you'd like us to know, uh, share it with us now. I mean, I'm sure there's there's no not enough time for that. But if we can think of who he was and what he'd like us to remember, what would it be? Well, Ethan Ethan was a, a kind soul. He was a big boy, and uh, he played hockey and. Coaches would get mad at him because they always wanted him to hit. And Ethan played the game because he loved it. He didn't want to hurt people. Um, but he was just a, a nice guy. He loved animals. He loved animals more than people. Um, he, um, he was easygoing. Uh, he, he, he beat his own drum. And you know what? As a baby, he was super, super easy. He was just, you know what? Ethan was independent, and I didn't never had to worry about him, right? He was just, he was a responsible, good kid, Going to university, you know, worked for the city of Winnipeg. Um, planned on doing something with computers. He loved his computers. And super smart. He was our memory in our house because he was the one that remembered everything. So we have no memory now because he's gone. But but uh, he was the one we'd go to and say, hey, Ethan, do you remember this? And he'd go, oh, yeah. But, um, yeah. And computers. Yeah. Yeah, I have no computer guru anymore. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, things would break down in the house, and Ethan would fix it, you know, or he'd go to Grandma's and fix Grandma's TV or whatever. But, yeah, just a good kid all around. Ethan Boyer's parents, Sue Zook Boyer and Dana Boyer, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Sue and Dana, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate this very much. You're welcome, guys. You guys have a great day. Thank you. We will share more of your sleep condition stories, worst sleep condition stories throughout the morning here on The Start for your chance to qualify for the Sleep Country Canada Sleepless in Winnipeg Grand Prize. We're giving away on Monday. But, Loren, just quickly here, we got a great text from Bill on the South Perimeter. Yeah, we were just speaking to the parents of Ethan Boyer who lost his life there last year, and he writes to say, the South Perimeter is a death trap. You have drivers that have 15 minutes to get to work and have 20-minute commute. You see people eating cereal, applying makeup. And heaven forbid, if you're actually going the speed limit, they're right on top of you. I have never been an advocate of having police or RCMP monitoring it with speed traps, but it is time that it becomes 24-7 speed traps, right, Spill? I ride a motorcycle and I steer clear of the south perimeter. Small town salute, and Loren, there are a lot of people out there exploring Manitoba this summer. More camping, more RVs, more hikes. And from what we're hearing, Brett, more paddling, it sounds like. And that's where we want to take you this morning, out onto some of Manitoba's lakes and rivers, where you might just find our next guest. Paul Epp is a canoe trip backcountry camping enthusiast. He also takes some fantastic pictures of his journeys, including... If you go to his Instagram page, Brett, I would say, in my opinion, too many close encounters with bears, but that's just me. Uh, you can see Paul's photos on Instagram at Paul E-P-P-I-C. It's kind of like Paul Epic or Paul Epic. Paul, is oh. what, play on words. What's the what's going on here? Yeah, well, <laughs> good, to be, good to be with you guys this morning. Um, uh, I just figured I'd, I'd make my Instagram tag pretty simple. Uh, just add an IC on the end, and it's a pretty epic name. So that's kind of <laughs> how, how I came about that. <laughs> yeah, I just figured epic, but then Loren realizing Paul Ep pick. So, yeah, there's a, a double uh, meaning there. So that's clever stuff. So, Paul, are you seeing more people out on canoes or kayaks this summer? Yeah, well, um, typically we try to uh, aim aim to go on routes that are a little less populated, um, as we've always tried to do. But 
this year just driving through the parks um there's so many cars and there's a lot more traffic this year than i've ever seen um so it makes these uh, backcountry trips a lot more special um you know having a like last weekend took my brother-in-law and, and nephew out on his six-year-old uh, man trip uh, and we didn't see anyone the whole weekend uh, had our own little private island and uh, that's the the joy of going into the backcountry is you you get that privacy which is seems rare these days so it's a beautiful thing yeah i, I was saying uh, over the weekend i was out at clear lake and so many more people have mm-hmm. kayaks it seems like more paddle boards more people just out because you know we are in quote stuck at home or choosing to be at home or whatever it might be you're doing something mm-hmm. a little bit different when you say backcountry describe one of your favorite places to go what do you mean when you go backcountry canoeing and camping paul yeah um typically it means uh (laughs) there's always an implication that you're going to have to work to get there uh whether it's just you know a few more hours of paddling to get to your campsite uh, hauling all your gear that you need uh, instead of just driving up with your car um, or portaging where you carry your canoe and all your goods across land and hopefully don't run into those bears that you were talking about um but yeah so many favorite places uh we typically stick to the east side of the province uh, white shell and nopaming are probably our favorite spots um yeah one of my favorites is would be uh, nopaming there's a, a pretty popular route uh, along the bird river uh, starting at tulaby lake and uh, that takes you up uh, you can go as far as you want actually it eventually goes into ontario um, but there's some beautiful river paddling there. Um, so if you're newer to it, you don't have to worry about the, the big waves of big lakes uh, that give you. Uh, but beautiful campsites along the rivers and those small lakes. And also that feeling of being, it's put more of an intimate feeling when you are you see the shore on either side instead of just paddling on a huge lake and there's nothing around to look at as you go. So uh, we like those intimate trips a bit more. <laughs> When you when you take a trip, I'm, I'm sure you know you know your starting point. But for somebody who's maybe just getting into it, how imperative mm-hmm. or is it imperative that you know your destination? Like you can't just. I imagine you can't just. Okay, here we go. This is where we launch from. Where are we going? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, typically, what I've done, and I've I've have, have a history as well of of taking uh, groups out. Uh, I worked with a youth group for a while, and. Uh, would take you know some some kids out and you really have to make sure you're careful about what you do with them but um, what I would do is uh, print off a map of of the route the most trustworthy one you can find online usually and put in a ziploc bag so it's a bit safer from the elements and you always have to kind of make a best guess of how long it'll take you to get to your hopeful destination um, and usually it's good to give a, give yourself a little extra time because uh, sometimes it depends on what the weather looks like. If it says, you know, thunderstorms rolling in at 10 p.m. and you're starting at 7, well, you know, it's probably good to, to try to aim for a campsite before you get crushed by a storm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been stuck in many big storms before, so you have to kind of think of everything, um, how long it might take you, who you're with, and kind of their ability to to paddle hard or to, you know, to be determined to paddle for five hours, you know, if, if they can do it. Um, so you always kind of have to assume, assume certain things, uh, yeah, the best you can. So 
trips turn out the best for the people that you go with. Paul, you mentioned seeing more people on the roads, more people out on those lakes and rivers this mm-hmm. summer. On your Instagram page, you've got a lot of great shots of deer, a couple bears, I think mm-hmm. a wolf, if I'm seeing that. That looks yeah. like it might have been a winter photo. Are you seeing yeah. more wildlife? We know we've seen heard reports of that this year. Are you seeing that as well on your journeys? Yeah, um, I would say a little bit more than usual. I, I would agree with you, too. I've seen a lot more posts from people, especially with bears and, and stuff uh, in the eastern part of the province. Um I'm not sure if it's just that they're they're out more or if it's just that there's so many more people out that we're seeing more pictures of them. Um, but yeah, I have uh, I have one secret spot that I it's undisclosed location, so I can't I can't share with you. It's my secret spot of the white shell. Uh, but I have trail cameras set up, and that's where I have some of those pictures of the wolves and bears and whatever else walks by. Um, I've always been fascinated to to know what's walking these these portage trails when we're not there and uh that's been kind of mind-blowing to see what's what's what is out there that we never actually get a chance to see so it's, it's really cool all right so let's say i want to head out this weekend i'm just getting into paddling whether it's canoeing or kayaking or whatever uh what's an easy river or stream to to get my start yeah um my usually when people ask me that question i i, I lean towards the caddy lake canoe route um, in the white shell. Uh, so it's only an hour and a half drive from the city, which is nice. Um, and you, so Caddy Lake, there's a few launch spots from there. And uh, if you look on any online maps, you can see it pretty clearly where to go. But you get to go through these uh, these tunnels, these water tunnels um, that they blasted through to connect the water from lake to lake. And uh, they are really cool, especially if you have kids. Um, that's just a be- it's a really cool route to paddle through a tunnel. You know, you have to do your safety precautions, like blow your whistle so no one meets you in the middle and you have to figure out who's, who has a stronger paddle. Um, but then there's campsites in that second lake after the tunnel that are easily accessible. Um, so within a, an hour or so of paddling from Caddy, you, you start getting and feeling like you're in the backcountry. And you also, it's a good beginner's kind of thing because you don't have portaging to do. Um, which often scares people away from from that. So Caddy Lake is awesome, and you can paddle into even a second lake through a second tunnel, which is a little lower, so sometimes we've had to duck while we're paddling. <laughs> Otherwise, you scrape your forehead, your forehead on the, the rocks above you. Um, maybe have some birds in there flying around. So, uh, But, yeah, beautiful. You feel like you're you're in the backcountry, but you, you don't have to – you know, do the portaging and all that sort of stuff. So Caddy Lake would probably be my, my first recommendation for for people if you're just starting up. And you can, uh, well, I don't know if now because it's so much busier, but you can also rent rent paddle uh, canoes and stuff around that area. So if you don't have a canoe to, at home to bring, um, there's options there for you too. We spoke with Suzuk Boyer and Dana Boyer, they're the parents of Ethan. He was 19 years old when he lost his life on the South Perimeter last fall. He was traveling the South Perimeter near Brady Road when he was hit by a semi that then pushed him into another vehicle and it took his life. And so we learned this week about the construction that's going to take place to try to make some changes there, extending Waverly to Brady and the fact that they're going to name it Ethan Boyer Way in honor of this young man who lost 
his life. And that's prompted a lot of texts from our listeners this morning about what else needs to happen there, right? We have these chats all the time. Interchanges, overpasses. Ethan's mom said she knows in her lifetime they're not going to see too many more inter or sorry, overpasses added to that south perimeter or to the perimeter in general. But she hopes people, when they hear Ethan's name or pass Ethan Boyer way, will think twice and slow down. So we've got a few texts that we want to share with you now, Brett, and, and get that conversation going about, well, what else needs to be done? Because a few of our listeners have said this. They can make all the changes they want on the perimeter, but if there is no enforcement, it's not going to change anything. So the call there, Brett, would be for more RCMP, maybe more check stops, or potentially even uh, what our another listener suggested. This listener in a text said, if there was ever a place that could use red light cameras for safety, it's the south perimeter. What do you think about that? Yeah, can you can you believe that we're actually hearing people calling for right. red light cameras for photo radar? Uh, Roger says on the south perimeter discussion, I just want to say speed limits are not the long-term solution. The problem is intersections. You shouldn't ever have to stop on a perimeter highway. Speed reductions are band-aid solutions that just aggravate drivers, get the proper merge lanes built. There's more than enough space, and I don't mean 100-meter lanes, proper merge lanes that allow ample time to merge so people don't stop at the yield curve. I mean, that's the, the drum that Greg's been beating for years since the two since he and I started doing a show in the afternoon on the south perimeter and counting the number of stoplights that there are. And I, I, I will, I get it. Like maybe that's one of the reasons why drivers just don't even pay attention to the speed limit. Maybe they know what the speed limit is and they say, you know what, screw this. I'm just going to do what I normally do on the perimeter because it's such a, a, it's such a crappy strip of road. Yeah, I mean, for sure, the start, stop, start, stop, start, stop, lights, five, six, seven lights, uh, just as you come, say, uh, off the Trans-Canada head south and then east, for sure, there's a lot of places that you have to stop, or the speed limit might change from 100 to 80, then back to 100 again. But we hear all the time, like, even when you add those things, you still have the conversation about every time you add five kilometers to your speed, your ability to slow down and stop and prevent a collision is greatly redu- greatly reduced the slower you go the easier it's going to be to come to a stop so i don't know i i i'm not a person to advocate for photo radar but enforcement for sure where can we prove that it might make a difference and if you get that ticket will at least make a difference and and will even the name seeing a name or seeing crosses on the side of the road does that cause you to slow down and give pause for thought because after our conversation with Ethan's mom, Sue Zuckboyer shared a story with me via text about how she later learned uh, just a few months ago about a young man who was driving on the south perimeter. He was speeding. He had apparently been having a bad day. He was pulled over by a police officer. And that day, that police officer didn't give him a ticket, but he chose to tell him the story about Ethan, about how this 19-year-old was uh, killed last fall. And Sue later learned via a friend that this kid came home um, and really felt like that was going to be the difference maker, that he felt like he had been connected with Ethan that day, and that in hearing, in Sue's word, in hearing the son's story, that he was going to reconsider how he drives and his habits. And so maybe the name and seeing those things is also part of the conversation and remembering that name and that face, Brett. 
And I'm looking at the question of the day results at cjob.com. They are brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Should the south perimeter be monitored for speed more often? Your options are yes during peak times, yes 24-7 RCMP and photo radar, or quite simply no. And so far at cjob.com, we have 60% saying yes 24-7. Uh, and then wow. 40% say no, and so far no votes for yes during peak times. Looking at it on Twitter, we've got 59% say yes 24-7, 16% say during peak times, and 24% say no. So you can cast your vote at cjob.com or on Twitter at 680CJOB. And again, I am surprised uh, and, and not unpleasantly surprised that, that, that we are getting more votes for 24-7 mix. Yeah, Adam just texting now saying, I hate red light cameras and photo radar too, but I 100% agree that putting cameras at Waverly and at LaSalle cutoff would make a difference. On the opposite end, Yves, who is a truck driver and has stated repeatedly this morning that he found that interview gut-wrenching, that the crash that killed Ethan really bugs him. He also doesn't know if adding any sort of photo radar or red light cameras would help because he's pointing to Europe where they have speed cameras, uh, and that might make a difference. You get a ticket in the mail, and that might prompt you to slow down on a on the highway as opposed to getting that ticket. So lots of different opinions on this, but man, I don't know the last time we had even one person say more more radar, more enforcement, please. Yeah, and I think it was uh, Dana who talked about, Dana Boyer who talked about how a semi-truck went blowing by him at the LaSalle turnoff. And I think what happens there is after you get past the turnoff, and I never go beyond there because I always turn Mm -hmm. off LaSalle to go to the golf course, but I think that's where the speed goes back up to 100. So I think they're getting ready to get back to that 100. But you're supposed to slow down as you approach an intersection anyway. Whenever we talk about sleep, Loren, there's one person we simply must talk to. Yeah, we're going to go right now to Diana McMillan. Uh, She's an associate professor at the U of M in the Rady Faculty of Health Sciences College of Nursing program. But we just like to refer to her as our sleep consultant, not just because of her expertise, (laughs) Brett, but because of your voice, Diana. uh, It's so soothing. It's a little foggy this morning, but uh, good morning uh, to to you both. It's uh, great to be back. We've been talking all week, as Brett said, about sleep, uh, in part because we have a contest ongoing for a terrific sleep package. But we've talked about everything from, you know, our struggles to fall asleep, sleep blunders, the mistakes we might make when we're too tired, uh, our alarm clock mistakes that we make. And then, of course, this morning, some of the worst sleeps we've ever had. And that had me wondering, there's lots of science that goes into beds now and, and making them different for different users. Is there such thing as the perfect location, a perfect setting, or, or even a bed to sleep in, Diana? Uh, well, actually, there, there are certainly some things that we know uh, will really support good sleep. And so you want to have a place that is uh, safe, that you feel safe in. Um, and that may sound maybe a little bit strange, but for a lot of, uh, for a lot of folks, actually, they, they may be uh, pretty anxious with their sleeping environment. So we can't really take that um, for granted. Um, We need a place that is uh, dark. Um, And so uh, if you remember, you have um, a hormone called melatonin, which helps you fall asleep. And it is suppressed or that switch is turned off when exposed to light. So you need a room that is really quite dark. So uh, covered with uh, blackout curtains or at least dark uh, shades or something will really help with that. 
also cool. It should be not cold, but much cooler. And so we're heading into August, and uh, the nighttime temperatures are a little cooler, and actually that's going to support um, much better sleep for us as well. We, we want a bed that is comfortable, um, so not some lumpy camel-like uh, contraption. And so uh, a good mattress. Um, is really important and so we should be flipping that um, as well uh, probably once a year Uh, and something that is covered with um, breathable sheets so we want something that is going to allow the sort of the general perspiration or sweat that we have um, through the night not uh, to be able to sort of uh, evaporate um, so that we're not feeling cold and clammy. So something that's um, uh, natural fibers is often really good, and they have quite a number of those available uh, in the market now. So you want to have something that is going to be comfortable for you to sleep in in an environment um, that you feel is really restful. So get that television out <laughs> of your room, because if you have something noisy going on uh, through the night, that's going to make it uh, difficult as well. When it comes to picking a mattress, I mean, there's so many different kinds out there, whether it's memory foam or coils or, you know, you see these TV ads for a mattress in a box. You know, when it is, is there uh, one that sort of rises above them all that we should all be looking at? Or is it really come down to just whatever works for each individual person? Well, I, I, I won't uh, propose to be a mattress expert on this, but I think there is quite a bit of variability in terms of, um, our own uh, support requirements and how comfortable we all feel, um, whether we need a softer mattress or a firmer mattress. And that's a, the same goes for a pillow. Um, but the pillow um, is actually in part how we sleep. So if we're sort of a side sleeper, um, that's going to be different for uh, than someone, say, who sleeps on their back or someone who sleeps on their stomach. So um, in addition to being, um, you know, sort of investigating a mattress that suits you, you should really also investigate uh, different kinds of pillows that will be supportive to your spine so that you can have a, a sort of a nice, um, even um, spine alignment and that'll help you have a, a much more comfortable sleep as well. Sorry, if I could just jump in Loren with a follow-up and just go out of order here for a second what if you're uh, a havesy like I used to always fall asleep on my side and I, I wake up sleeping on my side but for whatever reason in the last year I've taken to falling asleep on my back so when I get into bed I lie on my back usually just to kind of decompress but I often fall asleep that way um, so what should I be looking at for a pillow then if I'm doing both? Well, the the biggest difference is between stomach sleepers and the other um, other types of sleepers. So there's not as much um, uh, difference in terms of the amount of support. And um, I don't know. You just I think you're just going to have to sort of trial and error a little bit there, Brett, because uh, um, you know it's it's not a there's not necessarily a magic bullet um, on that but definitely for people who are stomach sleepers some of them don't even use a pillow at all um, or a very very um, uh, uh, sort of narrow or thin pillow rather yeah those people are crazy but I no I'm just kidding <laughs> uh, we're speaking with Diana McMillan who's an associate professor at the U of M and of course a sleep consultant and Diana we've talked mattresses and, and timing and, and ways to to provide a more soothing and quiet environment. But a lot of the conversation we've just had now focuses on the position. So is there a position 
we should be training ourselves to sleep in, you know, the much the same way we lay a baby down in the crib the same way. Maybe we should be trying to sleep always the same way as opposed to being a side sleeper, back sleeper, stomach sleeper. Uh, no, I don't really think so. The only thing is that um, as we age and if we're really tired or have done lots of shift work or perhaps we've, um, you know, taken some a cold medication or uh, alcohol or something, um, avoiding uh, sleeping on your back is probably advisable just because you end up doing a lot of snoring or even exacerbating if you do have any uh, sleep apnea. So, um, which is the condition where you stop breathing, right? So um, I'm not suggesting that people who snore, snore all have apnea, but um, sleeping on your back does seem to exacerbate that. And um, uh, I know with increasing rates of obesity, that adds to our risk for uh, sleep apnea as well. So um, if we can try to maybe uh, get off the back, if you are a snorer or if you are concerned that you have sleep apnea, uh, that certainly uh, uh, I would recommend that. And also going to see uh, sleep, uh, getting a sleep uh, assessment done at the sleep disorders clinic to, to sort that out because that's a serious uh, condition that needs to be um, resolved. The contest is called Sleepless in Winnipeg, largely because so many of us just don't get enough sleep. And that's largely, we do it to ourselves. Like, why does sleep continue to be something that so many of us just don't do enough of, even though we know we need it? Well, it's one of those things that uh, seems to get pushed to the back burner, right? If something's got to go, if we've got a, a, a deadline or something, we we tend to push through that and, and we end up being short changed in terms of our sleep but it catches up with us and we know that um, there's both acute consequences or uh, almost immediate consequences of being um, sleep deprived where we're really tired or grumpy we have um, more clumsy um, and we can also be more uh, likely to catch the flus where our immune our immune system isn't as, as great um, but our the chronic consequences are also um, uh, very serious as well and so we need to make that a bigger priority so how do we do it well I think we need to do it in sort of um, slow steps where we we have a discussion amongst our family members about the pro- the need to get sleep and then we support each other um, uh, to try to do that right and so being having a regular uh, bedtime and a regular wake time um, trying to make sleep a priority because we know that when we've been rested, we feel great. I mean, our mood's better, we're less anxious, we cope uh, better, we think more clearly, um, we've got energy. Um, so those are all big pluses. Now, some other things to do that can help with that is even just getting a little bit of exercise. And it doesn't mean that you have to run a half marathon. Go out for a walk on a daily basis. Um, you know, walk the dog, play with the kids, go for a walk in the park, um, socially distance with a friend, um, out for a walk, go for a bike ride. All those things help to reduce your stress, make you feel a little bit uh, more relaxed and a little healthy, tired at nighttime. And that'll help us fall asleep too. Diana McMillan is an associate professor at the U of M and the Rady Faculty of Health Sciences College of Nursing. Join us live on 680 CJOB. She is our sleep consultant, our sleep associate, if you will. Diana, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. Oh, you're always welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>
Jeff, before we get do anything else here, I got to ask you something. Um, do you get these emails? Like, I have an, an email here that has no interest to me whatsoever. The IAGC, the Global Trade Association for the Geophysical and Exploration Industry, launches new member portal and website to support members and educate public and governments. Like, why do I have this? Because you're going to want that member portal to transport you to another time where you don't have to receive these kinds of emails. <laughs> Are you Honestly, on- I don't think I got that one, but I do get some sometimes where I think, how did I get on this list? And why do you think I need to know about this mining project that's underway in Northern Ontario? Like, I don't get them sometimes. Yeah, I just get, like, honestly, hundreds of emails a day. This is why my inbox piles up, because I just get mm-hmm. so much crap, and I just ignore it and say, I'll delete it later, and then I never do. Uh, so I just wanted to, to bounce that off you. That's uh, just, yeah, our email inbox. You'd be horrified if you looked at my inbox right now and saw what was oh, in there. Oh, I couldn't handle that. I just really can't. Whenever I see numbers, like, I can't, if there's any alert on my phone at all, and I don't check it within, like, 24 seconds i was gonna say 24 hours but that would be a huge lie i i panic my husband's phone i think has like 7100 unread emails on it and i'm always pointing that out to him and he doesn't care yeah well mine also starts with 7100 but uh you can add a zero on that and we move on to (gasps) oh i feel ill (laughs) it's brutal it's just brutal um we by the way, on Hal Anderson Afternoons at 1 o'clock, he's going to be carrying live the latest uh, news conference from Dr. Brent Rusin, Chief Provincial Public Health Officer, with the latest COVID-19 update. So we, at the end of the segment, are going to crown our latest qualifier for Sleepless in Winnipeg. This is a contest, a Better Sleep, Better You grand prize package from Sleep Country Canada, and it comes with... Uh, two Dormeo micro-cushion pillows, one essential sheet set, and one Field Crest luxury queen-size duvet. We're going to give away that grand prize right here on the start on Monday. You've been texting us your sleep blunder stories all week long. Today we're focusing on worst sleeping conditions. And as always, you, the listener, have come through with some amazing stories. I, I This one had both of you and I with our jaws dropped. Worst sleeping experience. In a low-cost hotel, when we entered the hotel room and put suitcases down, we noticed someone sleeping in a bed (laughs) under the blankets. (laughs) We quietly shut the door, left, went back to the receptionist, got another room. When we settled in there, one of us noticed pieces of sushi under the bed, LOL. I don't know if I'd be laughing at that. They go on to say, I examined the sheets and found hair, so the sheets hadn't even been changed. It was a nightmare. The receptionist who ran the hotel, was also the cleaner and was making breakfast as well and apparently had time to watch movies in between. This was out of a bad movie, they say. We didn't stay. Wow, wow. Wendy has a text on sleep deprivation. I was working overnights and then get home in the morning just before my kids got out of bed and then the hubby would go to work and I didn't sleep until after supper and then up for work again. One morning, my husband watched me try to unlock our back door with my car remote, (laughs) (laughs) and the door wasn't even locked. Well, the the things that we do when we're just completely sleep-deprived are like the things that you do when you wake up, when you first wake up and you're really groggy and you're trying to, oh, why isn't this working? Oh, well, (laughs) you know, that's uh, like I used to uh, sleepwalk when I was Mm -hmm. a kid, and I... I think my mom says, this is when I was eight years old, I went into the bathroom and I opened the clothes hamper to go number one. 
and mm-hmm. she kind of had to just gently come in and say, Brett, you guys just got to gotta turn around <laughs> if you're going to do that. Oh, into oh. the clothes. You'd be like a cat. I'd be cursing <laughs> you the next day. Ugh, gross. Listen, Joanne also texted to, about her sleep story. She wrote, a ladies' camping trip involved a few bubbles. We were whooping it up in one tent, and the rain was pouring. Around 3 a.m., three of us left to go to our own tent. Well, turns out this brand new tent was not waterproof. I stepped into the tent, saw our sleeping bags floating. I said, "Uh uh-oh. But my buddy behind me said, just get in, we're wet, and pushed me into the tent. And then when they followed me in, they realized why I said, "Uh uh-oh. We tried squeezing out our sleeping bags, but ended up with two people sleeping in the car and yours truly on top of the hood of the car. It had stopped raining at that point. <laughs> Adam texted something that I can relate to here on a couple of fronts. Adam says the worst sleeping experience for me is when my wife wants to cuddle. I get <laughs> hot like a furnace when I sleep, and having someone cuddle is so uncomfortable. I can't sleep. Sorry to my wife, LOL. And here's the reason why I can relate to this twofold. Uh, Ten years ago, my uh, ex fiance she... I always wanted to fall asleep cuddling, which was nice and, and cute. And, and plus, I, I get hot like a furnace, and she was always cold, so she wanted to, to be warm. But the problem then would be when she falls asleep, because that was at the time I would sleep, I'd lie on my back, and she'd come nuzzle up to me. And then when I wanted to go to sleep, I would have to re- like remove myself from <laughs> from the cuddle. But to do that quietly and without jostling her awake was pretty difficult mm-hmm. so i eventually became pretty good at it and there were other days where i just said you know what it's my turn to sleep i'm going i'm, I'm rolling over now and i would just throw over <laughs> but then uh, in, a, in a more recent situation uh it would start with okay i'm cold let's cuddle so we'd cuddle for a few minutes and then it would just be this almost like violent rejection like okay get off me you're too hot <laughs> you're too hot it happens suddenly you're just hot you go from being, it's you know, finding that perfect sleep temperature, it's a balance. Like if you're hot, you know, I might have it so that I either rip all the covers off or I just have my toe peeking out and that'll be enough to cool me down. Sometimes it's my whole leg. Sometimes half my body will be covered with a sheet. Like I'll, I just, I you can't always, you can't always say, but there's just different spots and ways to do it. Yeah, I, I will sometimes just have like just my one toe sticking out and then I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's the temperature I was looking for, right? Right there. It's like That's dipping the it. toe in the water or something. Yes. Did you yeah. see this one from uh, someone who was working in Little Grand Rapids? No. We're a sleeping condition for me working up in Little Grand Rapids. They have wild dogs up there. And they these dogs decided to live under our camp trailer where they started to fight every night, barking all night. I was sleeping on the floor. I did have a one-inch piece of foam, but it was basically on the floor. They also barely had any heat in that trailer, and I did not bring correct bedding. Usually I would think that a camp would have heat. I did that for two weeks and never again. So I replied saying, the dogs lived under your trailer? Yes, the camp trailer. They would be fighting outside sometimes, and we would have to wait for them, or we could potentially get jumped on also. If I remember, I slept maybe five hours in a week. So that's tough. But oh, that's tough. That'd be scary. I, I had one time an experience in traveling through Cambodia where there was a rooster outside this place we were sleeping, and that kept me up all night. But I wasn't concerned that the rooster was going to attack me. He was just really annoying. Is, and is it true the rooster will, at the crack of dawn, wake everyone up? 
the crack at something. I don't know. It was early and it was, it felt like it was the whole night. You know how sometimes it feels like you just got zero sleep because the rooster or whatever was up all night or the rain kept you up and maybe it's really only an hour. So I can't honestly tell you that, but roosters do not equal sleep. All right. But here is our winning text. And we actually read this one early. So if you're listening early, uh, you would have caught this, but we wanted to to reshare our uh, winning, our qualifying text, Loren. So they wrote in quite early, bad sleeping conditions. I was in the Navy where the shipboard beds resembled coffins, complete with concrete mattresses. And now I sleep in a truck bunk. Think you can never find a level parking spot? Good luck. And then you wrote back. That sounds brutal. Did you have a hard time sleeping in normal conditions once you got them? Because I remember Tom Hanks, for example, in Castaway. Remember when he comes back? Yes. And he had to sleep on the floor. So Dawn says, yep, we have a $1,500 memory foam king-size bed at home. I'll wake up four or five times during the night. Last night, he tells us, I had to sleep with my feet about four inches higher than my head. (laughs) And I love that because that's truly, like, that's not just a one bad time experience. You know, he's had years of bad experiences that now what does his wife do when she's next to him like how does that work or maybe he has one of those beds where you is that what he has then where like one side oh can go up or down that's not the memory foam though is it you know what i mean the, like, oh yeah the, the ones that um i know the ones you're talking. or yeah, something i don't know i'm that, making it up no that sounds like it could be right yeah it's one of those ones that, with the adjustable beds but uh, i think with the memory foam it can be easier to to move around without disturbing the other person but uh, I mean you and one of the reasons why we chose this one too is because you Loren talked about how you now I think you still have a hard time falling asleep unless you're in a certain position yeah and it's changed a little bit over the years but in 2006 and then again in 2008 I spent I think it was four to five weeks each time embedded with the troops in Kandahar Afghanistan and so we slept in the tents that were like thin cots and they got better each time you'd go but at the beginning they were just these really narrow cots with like a sleeping bag that you'd have and they were so narrow that rolling over plus they're kind of hard like they don't have a lot of give those cots that you wouldn't sleep on your slide and I'm typically a side sleeper and so I spent so much time on my back with in addition the noise of helicopters and the firing range and stuff like that in the background that I have to generally try to fall asleep on my back especially when I first got back it took me months to do anything but a back sleep and also just that white noise sound and so it really alters you know when you get used to different conditions you that kind of becomes your norm hey thanks for listening to the start podcast we are available on apple podcast google podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts subscribe now and never miss an episode and if you like what you hear rate the show tell us what you think And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.